Dropout Podcasts. Hello and welcome back to Adventuring Academy. My name is Brendan Lee Mulligan. With me today is our special guest, Miss Siobhan Thompson. Hi, everybody. Yay. Thank you so much for coming, Siobhan. Thank you for having me. Uh, I see you're rocking the Dimension 20 Fantasy High Live. I am. Uh, the show that ruined live shows for the rest <laughs> of uh, creation because it was the best live show anybody's ever done. <laughs> Sorry if you weren't there. Uh, although you can absolutely go over to YouTube right now and catch the uh, stream of the live show we did. Pretty cool. Uh, a, a truly remarkable time. Very wild. I've done a lot of bad comedy shows, and this really <laughs> makes up for it. Makes me feel better about in, my life choices. In Brooklyn specifically. Truly, in Brooklyn, I have done so many specifically very bad comedy shows. <laughs> were better than the audience thought they were. Yeah, that's on the audience. That was on the audience. That's the first rule of comedy. Always blame the audience if you do a bad show. A hundred percent. But that was wild because you haven't played Adine in more than a year. Yeah, it was very... I was very nervous about it, especially because... Um, I, you know, I uh, rewatched the show when it came out because I'm a huge narcissist. Um, but uh, I... I feel like people are watching this show in a way that uh, they will remember minutiae that I won't. Right. Uh, and also playing a wizard is complicated. Yes. And playing an eighth level wizard is very complicated. It's quite. They, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into being a proficient spellcaster. Yes. Uh, uh, that's, that's and all. I did fine. I didn't use my portent rolls because the rolls were bad. Yes, that's right. You had a what? I, a, I had a one and a nine. And then by the time we were into battle, you weren't really rolling attack rolls you were just killing us yes exactly. and so it, they were just fully useless to me yes uh, if they were they, if they were higher i would have given them to other people but a one and a nine i can't right you want you want to give that to anyone on your right. team i don't want to like let's kill zach right and if you'd had if you'd had like an insta kill spell that you right. could cast on the beholder and have given her the one that's a different story right. but you were peril you were telekinesis and restrained yeah and there was all kinds of shit that i couldn't do there was a lot of shit going on yeah uh, uh but it was incredibly incredibly fun uh we're also recording this the day after playing our home mm -hmm. game yes we changed over from 3.5 to 5e which a bunch of 10th level characters yeah ported it over. was very uh it was challenging because I feel like we have uh, 3.5 and 5e are just two fully different games. <laughs> They're just not the same mechanics at all. They True. have like a couple of the same things, but mostly it's entirely different. Yes, the mechanics are all different. The the scale of difficulties and armor classes is totally different. Right, and even like because I in my 3.5 campaign had uh, multi-classed a bunch because that's what you do in 3.5 to get a good character. character. Yeah, and that doesn't really make sense in 5e so like figuring out like because i was multi-classed into arcane archer and then but the arcane archer in 5e is a very different thing and so like what do i do who do i who am i like what's going on what's my purpose it's a big like, identity crisis it is it really is uh speaking of uh who is my character uh we wanted to jump into yeah. something very fun today uh which is uh Shemont, you've played a lot of dnd characters at this point now we've yeah. uh uh we're we're gearing up for mysterious Season five. Mm, what's uh, going on? Who could I be? Who could you be? 
be. Uh, but we're about to see you. Uh, uh, actually, by the time this comes out, we mm-hmm. will actually already have started airing uh, season three of Dimension Ooh, Twenty. How exciting! So, so you'll be able to see uh, Siobhan as Misty Moore. Misty Moore. Uh, so that's great. So we can talk about it a little bit. We can talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Um, uh, playing Adine Abernant in Fantasy High, uh-huh. and then playing Misty Moore, who I think our audiences will only have seen one episode great. of. But um, uh, playing Misty Moore, a, it, about as different a character as possible. Yeah, I wanted to make her as different as possible, but also, I mean, mostly, like, I, I get to play a character who's a New York archetype. Why would I not be Elaine Stritch? <laughs> like, it just absolutely, I'm going to be an old Broadway diva, the best person in the world. Now, I want to, I want actually, would love to, for you to expound on that a little mm-hmm. bit because I similarly very much agree. And it's something that I don't hear talked about as much in D&D character creation mm-hmm. spaces. Because a lot of times people will be like, oh, you're making your character. Make something that's fun for you. And then it's kind of left at that. And right. I think a lot of, especially beginning players, are left in like this place where they're expected to know what will be fun. Yeah, I think that the, there's sort of two pitfalls. One is, uh, I hate using Mary Sue because it's just been co-opted by like the worst people mm-hmm. in the world. But like, I'm gonna create a character who's perfect and has like violet eyes and and ruby hair, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. be the best at everything. Or you know, and the, the flip side of that, which is basically the same thing, is just like I'm gonna min max my character because I am going to win at D and D, which you can't win at D and D. D and D is a fun storytelling game that you play with your friends. It's about success and failure, mm-hmm. and failure is often more interesting than success. I think weirdly because when we started doing Dimension 20 we Mm. got all these comedians on this show and what I was amazed by even having played with some people like Ali had never played before playing the first season is one thing that was incredible to me that a bunch of comedians took to the most naturally mm-hmm. that I had often seen non-comedians struggle with is finding a tremendous amount of fun in failure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's all comedy is, is finding fun in failure. There's a, I feel like maybe it's an urban legend because I've heard it about a couple of different comics, but I'm going to use the one that I heard, which was Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. Used to do a thing when he was in Chicago of like, I'm going to put myself into the most shame-filled experience that I can do so I can basically like inoculate myself against shame. Uh, So he would do, the thing that I had that he would do is walk as slowly as possible across a very busy crosswalk in rush hour. Mm -hmm. So like people are beeping and everybody's screaming at him and he's just going like foot in front of foot in front of foot just to like feel that pressure and and shame and be like no I'm above this I can do this because if you can do that that's all comedy is there's so much failure in comedy oh god first of all that's so funny also Stephen Colbert big D&D head um uh, uh, but yeah, I think it, it, that's very true. And there's something about natural ones and poor dice rolls that mm-hmm. I think you know it can be really frustrating when you're playing them. But I think immediately what we see from like the natural rolls, uh, natural one rolls in Fantasy High and things beyond is that we end up getting things like "Are you my dad?" Right. And oh yeah, I mean, there's a big thing in improv that is every mistake is a gift. Right. Um, Love that. And. All you have to do is, oh, it you, you fucked up. It doesn't matter. Everybody around you is going to pick up that mistake and make it into the best thing in the show. Yeah. Um, and if you're all working together as a team, which I feel very lucky that 
we do because that doesn't always happen there's definitely times when I've been put on teams and you've been put on teams at UCB where you're just like oh this is on paper a great team we're not working and I don't know why 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 don't we have any chemistry this is weird we're friends yeah it's a bizarre thing and it has nothing to do with whether or not you get along there are people that yeah. you can truly love and adore and there's mm -hmm. that performative chemistry is just not there and I think we were very fortunate with the first season of Dimension 20 where we all definitely liked each other, but yeah. I think some people had worked together less or hung yeah, out less. Yeah, I didn't know Lou at all, really. Mm -hmm. um, there were a couple, yeah. a couple people that were like not, not as familiar with you. You and Allie kind of had worked for a couple months together at College right. Humor. Yeah, but we then, had like a little bit of a crossover, and we had taken an improv class together, but yeah. that's not like. And the chemistry was like electric right when we started. Yeah. It was wild. Um, uh, and that's a, a rare gift. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to circle back to something you said too, because number one, I think that there is having that comedic training, and I think this is true for anyone watching at home as well, that like, if the point is to tell a good story, failure yeah. is a part of any good story. Yes. So both in the playing of the game, when those roles come up, you have opportunities for Are You My Dad stuff, but also in the construction of characters, yeah. sowing failure, flaws, and the room for growth. Yes, I mean, that was what, uh, when I was creating it, and the reason that I was like, oh, it would be fun to give her an anxiety disorder, is if she doesn't have that, she's just a rich kid that's good at magic. <laughs> like, who cares? Who cares that she's a rich kid that's good at magic? Like, that's, congratulations. Right, and now it's funny because she she was a rich kid who was good at magic, but mm -hmm. the fact that, that she had a element of her character that was so relatable to so many people that watch the show and to so many people that play the show, uh, and was also like deeply relatable, I mean, like, we were in line after doing the meet and yeah. greet after the show. Adine means a lot to a lot of people. It was wild. I cried, like, five times. <laughs> it was it's crazy. It's really meaningful to see to see a character. In the same way that I think uh, Kristen is a very meaningful character for a lot of people to see that LGBT representation right. in a character. And to have a character who's, like, as heroic as any other characters who's overcoming a mental... Uh, yeah, I mean, school is... The worst time. If you had a good time at school, go fuck yourself. I don't know what to say. Like, it's really awful. I had a terrible time at school. I personally had a, a lot of mental health issues. I dropped out of school for a year. It's mm -hmm. like, it was not a good time for me. My parents did not homeschool me. They did take me out of school for a year and then were just like, what are you doing? I should and say right now that I uh, have never been to high school. Yes. Which is maybe an admission. That's why you're as emotionally healthy as you are. It's <laughs> truly sickening to me, Brennan. I, I uh, find it very disturbing. You don't have all of the other disgusting scars that the rest of us have from having to go through a, a school system that tries to make us something that we're not. Uh, I mean, bullet dodge, and I, I reckon <laughs> with that privilege every day. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes, there are two types of homeschool kids, and you're the good type. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We actually had the two different. Yeah, as a, as a kid who was homeschooled for a while, there's um, the two. Yeah, there's the hyper religious. Yes. Like we're not learning evolution, and then there's the super groovy. Like right. we don't want to be in that competitive, yeah. institutional. And I was the latter type. Yeah. Um, uh, no, it's it's really moving and touching, and. I also wanted to let something you said because you were talking about like archetype because you're playing in Unsleeping City. You're playing right. this again. It's so wild to me too to watch because there are parts of your personality, having known you for a long time, that are Adine, and there are parts of your personality that are Misty. Yes. And anyone that watched those two characters would be like, "How do these two relate back to the same person? They're so different. They're so different." But I mean, I yeah, they they definitely come from this. 
aspects of myself. And I think that that is a fun way of creating a character of uh, saying, oh, what is an aspect of myself that I don't really get to explore that much? Yeah. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll go play over there for a little bit. The last two PCs I played, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I didn't realize this wasn't intentional, but I played uh, Dead Eye in uh-huh. NADPod, mm-hmm. who was a hardcore. Uh, being an atheist in worlds where the gods yes. are real is very challenging. But he was someone who scorned the gods and yeah. was a very bitter, angry mm-hmm. uh, uh, character about that kind of thing, although he had a lot of love for his family. And the character I played before that was a cleric and was yeah. the most extremely devout faith based. And weirdly, both of them are parts of myself that I'm like, no, that's very re- that's a very real aspect of myself mm-hmm. that I'm trying yeah. to. I think that both of those things are very relatable because I think that they... Man, the human journey is all about <laughs> opposites and trying to find the the in between of yourself. I don't know. It's, this is the this is like the misty the, energy the misty coming energy. through. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's just such a fun way to get to really play somebody else in a way that even just like regular acting doesn't let you be because you don't get to be spontaneous in most acting situations in the way that you get to be spontaneous in D and D. Absolutely. Um, and you know, I I think that. For me, it's so useful to uh, like have a philosophy of character going mm-hmm. in. I think that that is very useful because that means that if I have a philosophy of character, that means that you as the DM can set up situations where you can fuck with me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think there's two things. There's philosophy. And I also do want to circle back to the thing you talked about with mm-hmm. archetype, which I love. And I wish that was more... Um, talked about is the idea of I come to the six of you guys with mm-hmm. this thing and I say we're going to do magic New York yes and you go magical Broadway star yes and what I love about that is it it is a boon to me yes when a player character goes I want to be something archetypal in this setting mm-hmm. uh, so that, because it's almost like a campaign setting, bear with this weird analogy, a campaign setting is almost like this weird dark cave, mm-hmm. right? And your players have these little torches and they go off to parts of this cave based on where their character is from and what they're interested in. Right. And they have their little light and wherever they choose to, to root their player character in your setting, of course gets more light cast on it. And within that, there are things where the player character can choose to like walk up a little platform in that cave, a little stalagmite, and get to this vantage point where a huge chunk is illuminated. Yeah. And those stalagmites are like archetype. Because if you had just been like, um, I'm gonna be a bard. They like live in an apartment in Manhattan. Right, they're just like doing some gigs down in the West Village, but then they're bartending three nights a week because like it's not really making ends meet. Like that's boring. And everyone, and then the barbarian. You can be anybody. You can be anybody. Why wouldn't I be a Broadway star? And you go to that archetype and suddenly this thing that's like, oh, of course that would have to exist in magical New York. I think that's a great, compass for players is what's the character that if you choose to play them everyone's going to go of course that character has to exist here yeah because that has to that feeling of oh that is an archetype Mm -hmm. that that truly belongs in this setting is going to fill your sails with so much wind i am mixing metaphors left to right Uh, but it's going to give you so much purpose yes. to be playing an archetypal character for that setting. Also, uh, just for, and I feel like this is also a problem that is, not a problem, but a situation that is maybe more unique to the way that we play Dimension 20 uh, and having um, this way of the, 
of telling stories of just one season uh, where I very much wanted to make sure that Misty was very different from Fig. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things when we played our, our zero game, our, mm -hmm. our chemistry game, yeah. um, I was winking at people to give people inspiration because I was like, oh, that's how you do it. I not really having thought about it. It was the first time, uh, Fantasy Guy was the first time I'd played with a bard. Yeah. Um, and it, immediately I did it and I was like, this feels wrong. It feels like I'm stealing Emily's bit. And also I'm just like stepping on that character's toes. How would Misty give inspiration? And I feel like those kinds of questions are so useful when you're playing the character versus when you're building the character. Well, this brings us to the central thing that we wanted to talk about yes. today, which was justification. Yes. And I love that idea. I think, Shema, you're excellent as a player at, this is, a, it's true. <laughs> uh, uh, you're excellent at looking at a mechanical portion of the game. Like yes. here's a rule on the board mm -hmm. and tying that into the story yeah. and being like, well, if that's how the rule works, how does that manifest in the narrative, imagine, uh, imaginative story reality that we're thinking Right, of? exactly. It's if then. Right. Uh, it, if this person is a warlock, then, uh, well, maybe they, you know, a, you don't become a warlock unless you have some kind of, Problem, you don't sell your soul unless there's some kind of desperation. Like this right. is not a like, oh, I, uh, I forgot my keys. Who's uh, I'm a warlock now. Although that is a fun character. Somebody right. who sold their soul because they forgot their keys and it was too much of a pain in the ass to <laughs> call their super and help them unlock the, the door is pretty fun. There was some funny like Tumblr gift set bouncing around something um, that was like, it, it was all the different primary casters and it was like wizard, I have studied for endless years amongst dusty tomes to master the, and it was sorcerer, like the blood of dragons runs in my veins, I am the, and then it was it, a couple more and then it got down and Warlock was the last one, it was a weird, like some, from some TV show, uh -huh. but it was someone just going, whose dick do I gotta suck to get some <laughs> magic around here? <laughs> <laughs> it was extremely fun because it is fun. Yeah, like looking at a mechanic and then being like, it, it's it takes an extra step of thoughtfulness yeah. to look at a mechanic and say, what does that say about the person? Right. Okay, you sold your soul for magic. This is also a world mm -hmm. with wizards, so yes. it's not like there wasn't. <laughs> it's yeah, it's somebody who was like, mm, I want the magic, but I don't want to study. <laughs> Reading sounds hard. Maybe I can just sell something right, exactly. very precious to me. Or yeah, if you're a, if you're a warlock and you're doing a charisma based warlock, mm -hmm. uh, some people do intelligence. But if you're doing charisma based warlock and you have low intelligence. That's a funny. It's again, very that funny. helps you justify because you're like, look, I am not I'm smart dumb. enough to crack these books. I failed the exam three times. It was a great embarrassment to my family. Exactly. If you have a high intelligence and you're a mm -hmm. warlock. Then it begs a whole other, then you literally are like, nah, man, nah. It's, the books are not for me. There's also a thing that, it, it's not in the books, but there's also such a rich tradition of selling somebody else's soul so you can get magic, and I mm. think that that's also fun. Yes, like some weird infernal pact. Right, exactly, like, oh, my firstborn child. Yes. You can have my firstborn child if I can have magic. Yes. Great. I love that. Very tasty. Um, so looking at these sort of mechanics that pop up, um, the thing is funny because we were also just chatting the day about Terry Pratchett, who you uh -huh. called a master of justification. Yeah, he's so good at it. It it really is astonishing. Every time I read a Terry Pratchett book and reread at this point, uh, <laughs> it, the many times reread, just the, how good he is at explaining his bullshit. <laughs> 
it's so good. Just the the oh, here's the stupidest thing in the world. I'm gonna justify the shit out of it in a way that it makes complete sense and is somehow dumber at the end. He's a genius. I love that. So in your head, because justification is a big part of the world building that you love in terms of fantasy. Justification is also a huge part of the improv background that we have. Uh, It's a huge part of the UCB improv curriculum Mm -hmm. of the idea that like uh, the absurd gets gets more absurd when you attempt to explain it, Mm -hmm. uh, which I love. uh, what do you think the role of justification is? It, like, let's say that someone's sitting at home mm-hmm. and they, they want to make a character that they can fall in love with. What is the role the justification plays in taking an assortment of mechanics and abilities and trying to let it inform you about who this person is? Well, I think that we're all, when it comes down to it, Brennan, we're all just a jumble of mechanics. <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. Just the the more that you think about a person, the more that you know about a person, the more sympathetic that they become. Like you, mm-hmm. I, as a writer, I feel like I can make anybody sympathetic if I want to. Like the, yeah. the that's that's the power of storytelling. Uh, it can be sometimes very dangerous. There's all these horrifying New York Times articles about white supremacists, and then just like the a, Nazi a young you. boy in the Nebraska fields who just happens to want to burn Jews. Like yeah. that, the, that's the power of storytelling. Well, that, and it's it's a, it's something that I think is really interesting too. And I'll, as the philosophy major in me always wants mm-hmm. to point out, justification and rationalization are hugely powerful yes. tools. And I think what's so interesting is every one of those authors or writers who does the piece on like the evil person next door mm-hmm. always forgets that making you have empathy for a person does not naturally result in excusing their behavior or mm. even not wanting to oh, yeah. politically defeat them. Like it's always interesting when I read those things about like, here's a guy that voted for Trump and he would like all of his neighbors to be deported and he's a huge asshole, but look, he look, loves his dog. And I'm like, puppy. good for him, he's he loves a, his fucking dog. Puppy. Who gives a shit? It's like the the, Having empathy for someone is mm. not a hole in one for now you have to excuse every Everything. behavior that they have. No. Uh, I think that that's one of the things that people were saying uh, with Escape the Blood Keep like, oh, these characters aren't truly evil because they're uh, fully well rounded characters. And actually, evil people are fully well rounded. Hitler had a girlfriend. <laughs> like, all of these people, the, the, they were buddies. They went and hung out in. It's, chalets together. It's they, a failure on on our, I think, psyche, when we're dealing with characters or I think just out in the world as well, to be like, oh, nobody who was fully human mm-hmm. could be bad. Yeah. And you're like, in fact, everyone who's ever been bad has been fully human. Yeah. Like, unfortunately. Unfortunately. So it's like, yeah, I, I think our uh, storytelling in a lot of ways can like warp your mind in dealing with the real world where you're like, no, that person was nice to me. A villain could never no. be nice to oh, me. Oh, no. You're definitely like, no, no for sociopathic reasons. Sociopaths aren't nice. Yeah, exactly. It's like... They're insanely charismatic and that's how they (laughs) pass through life. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's very frustrating. But it's, it's so I think we do have it. Yeah. It's I think I think you have to balance both truths, which are that like every like character that you approach, you have to approach from means of understanding them. Yes. But I also do think that especially as someone who as a DM plays villains all the time, mm-hmm. my job is to play villains as being well rounded, but also not quibble about the fact that they are wrong and deserve to be destroyed. Oh yeah, I, every bad guy believes what they believe. Yeah. You know. Uh, it, that that's just the, the nature of <laughs> of humanity. Like, of course, 
that there are many things that I have believed in the past that are I later on gone, oh, I was absolutely wrong about that. Quite wrong. Yeah, yeah I was very wrong, and I've learned, and I feel bad about it. You know, that's... Uh, that's growing up. Yeah, that's growing up. And hopefully everyone does that, although we know that some people yeah. won't. Um, let's play our game. Let's play our game. Uh, uh, you're going to pull out a, a little copy of Xanathar's. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to do a little justification exercise yeah. here. Um, so we're going to create a character completely randomly from the uh, charts here. Yep. And then we, as master storytellers... <laughs> Uh, so uh, what we're doing here is there's a bunch of tables. You guys can find this in Xanathar's. You can find it in a lot of different resources that we have, uh, depending on the tabletop you're playing, whether you're playing White Wolf or you're playing another system. Most systems will have some tables for random character generation. And what we want to do is make a character as randomly as possible and then showcase for you guys kind of what we mean by justification. Right. Uh, show, don't tell. Exactly. Show, don't tell. Yeah. Uh, so if you're at home watching this and you're going like, well, if I want to play this or that, and honestly, a lot of people can get shunted into random character generation, mm -hmm. even by like showing up late to character yeah. creation, and people have already made all their uh, characters. We need a cleric, so make a cleric. Yeah, and we already have a half work, so don't be a right. half, you know. So, um, what I would say is, um, uh, looking at these these random tables, we want to roll a character as randomly as possible mm -hmm. and show how a sort of edge of randomness using the idea of justification of if this is true, then what else is true, right. can allow you to make a character that's actually really playable, even if it started as a random assortment of traits. Yeah, and I, again, don't worry at all about min-maxing. I think that that's a, a very short-sighted way to play because often you're faults are what uh, makes the character most interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, uh, it's much more interesting to have an elf rogue than to have an elf, uh, I don't know, sorcerer. Yeah, exactly. Because that, that doesn't make sense with the stats that they have, like, or the backgrounds yeah, or that elves have. Like having a half-orc wizard or having yeah. a dwarven rogue. It's like, ooh, like, w this is why we're following this person, because they're unusual. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think as long as you make peace with the fact that there won't necessarily be uh, you, so going into that, you need to go. Oh, I have not optimized this character for for their combat mechanics. I have optimized them for interestingness. Yes, and you're in a group of people. You're there to help each other out. It's not just about your character. You, you fill in the blanks that the other people leave. Exactly. Uh, right, what's so, the first table we're going to be rolling? Uh, let's do uh, race first. So okay. D one hundred. This is a D100 to see uh, what fantasy species this character is going to be, and we have rolled a, a 94. 94 is a tiefling. Ooh! Spicy. Ah, infernal. Very Those fun. And then let's do class blood. next, so, uh, which is also a D100. Lovely. Let's see what class this character is. Oh. Ah. Boom alley. Sorry. <laughs> um, we'll go ahead. Here we go. There we go. Rolling for character class, this character is going to be a 30. A 30 is a druid, a tiefling druid. Fast. Now this that is, is a, great. That's fucking great. Perfect. Now, immediately, some part of me is like, because yeah. tieflings, of course, are beings that have heritage from the outer planes, yes. which canonically within the lore of D&D &D are ideological planes of existence. They yes. are planes rooted in alignment. Fiends are defined by evil. Right. And druids kind of are all about the natural world. Yeah, and uh, uh, the I feel like the alignment chart almost doesn't work for druids because if you're in, it's just the circle of life. You know, lions kill things. It's the circle of life. So how do we take a... a, a fantasy well, species that is overwhelmingly defined by yes. being sexy sorcerers and warlocks. 
I mean, I think the way that I do it, and I think that it's different for every person, is a tiefling is only half demon. Or maybe that's just a demon demon heritage from both of their parents, like a recessive gene. Yeah. Uh, so their tiefling side doesn't define them. Mm. You don't have to be uh, torturing people just because you're a tiefling. Like, so- I, I've always wanted to be a druid. My, my horns came in at a certain point. That doesn't define me. I love that. So what do you think makes this our tiefling druid character here? Um, uh, were they destined to be a druid? Are they from a druidic tradition? or? Yeah, I mean, maybe their dad was a devil and their mom is a druid, and they just were like, this is... I just went with this this one. Now that's fascinating because we I think that we have a lot of stories of what ha- I mean literally Merlin is mm-hmm. said to be like a Cambian, right? Yeah. Like uh is like oh your father was an incubus and your mother was a human woman. So we have an idea of what happens in like a Christian nation of like the woman slept with the devil and her child is you know Damien. But what happens if you take a society that is based on a druidic model right. and you have someone have a child with a demon? What's that culture's reaction to well, again, it's just the circle of life. Demons, uh, it is in their nature to be demonic, and mm-hmm. that's fine. And it's uh, angels' nature to be angelic, and that's fine. Ooh, I love that. I, I think that it's like a very it comes from a very zen place. So Ooh. maybe it, it even this person like came into uh, a druidic place like later in life because they. Uh, it's almost like somebody who's like 35 and joined a cult, you know, it's like, just like, I just like, I'm starting to meditate. I'm doing this thing. Like I, I, uh, I'm teaching yoga. I'm really like, everybody has an angry friend who teaches yoga now. I love that. And it could, it could definitely be that kind of path into Druidism as well. <laughs> I love that. A late in life path into into that. Um, I think that's really fun. Yeah. I also think, because uh, I'm always trying to make people cry, there also <laughs> is something very interesting to me about the idea of, um, again, looking at these two random character traits that we've rolled, immediately my justification brain goes like, why would a tiefling be a druid? Mm-hmm. And immediately a weird thing clicked in my brain where I was like, if you're a tiefling and you have this fiendish heritage mm-hmm. that most churches, cleric-based churches, would ha- feel some type of way about it. Either the evil gods would feel some ownership over you, right. or the good gods would feel some other kind of way. Bears don't judge. None. And no judgment so, from bears. So maybe a tiefling having a reaction of like, I disavow my demonic heritage and also the forces of light that would look at me in some other kind of way. Uh-huh. I'm going to the fucking woods. Peace. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Off the grid, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, fun. That's okay. So I feel like that's a, there's Great. a fun character background. Uh, let's do another one. Uh, hell yeah. Do we have time? Yes. We sure do. Um, this is going to be a for race. This is a 52. 52 is an elf. Is an elf. Hell yeah. Great. And, and the class, class here is, is going to be. A 96 is a wizard. Elf. So, <laughs> that, so we're just creating Adine. <laughs> Uh, so let's do let's do from the wizard thing. Uh, I'll do it. D six is I was a prodigy who demonstrated. This is just Adine, uh, who demonstrated mastery of the arcane arts at an early age. When I became old enough to set out on my own, I did so to learn more magic and expand my power. Truly, just Adine. Let's create another one. Let's start again. <laughs> well, here's an interesting challenge. How do you take that character? Like, uh, let's say that, because I think that's an interesting thing sometimes when you're starting a, a group of new people. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, when you have people that are old D&D veterans, uh-huh. they're going to make, like, I'm going to be a fucking 
Modrin Warlock. And right. you're like, whoa. Uh-huh. But sometimes you'll have new players, and especially yeah. if these players are not very fantasy-versed, mm-hmm. playing an elven, like, playing like an elven fighter is going to yeah. be something that they just want to do. Yeah. And you're like, uh, and I think that, that allowing that is very interesting. So if you let's say that you had to play yeah. an elven wizard who was a prodigy at a young age, what's something you think of like, okay, I mean, the thing that I that pops into my head at first is somebody who used to be a child star. And it's like, it, it, you know, I was in the Gifted and Talented program. It's like, okay, but you're 32. So right. who cares if you're in the Gifted and Talented program? Right. Nobody, you don't need to tell me your SAT score. You're an adult. Yeah, exactly. A like, lot of the kids not, who were doing worse than you have caught up and surpassed you yes. now. Yeah. So, like, why are you bragging about this? Uh, I, I love the idea of an elven wizard. It was like, yes, I, I was a prodigy. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. 200 years <laughs> ago. Um, of course, the way that they do exams now is different now. So my grades sound bad, but they're actually very good. The, the grading system has changed. <laughs> They changed it from a 1600 to a 2400 right, SAT so like, after. Uh, my 1600 sounds bad, but actually it was good. So just <laughs> Perfect, take my word for it. Uh, wonderful. Let's roll for another race on here. Great. 97. Is 97 a is a tiefling again. Do another one. Cool. Oh, no. 97 is DM's choice. Do you want to do a DM's choice? I'm going to go. I'm going to do a deep cut back to. Wow. Um, Let's do, uh, just because it came to my head first, let's do Alagai, which were these cool horned Yeti people in 3.5 that I really liked. One of my first PCs ever was an Alagai fighter who had a paladin tendency. And the class is going to be 43. 43 is a fighter. Alagai fighter. Cool. Um, So rather than, so the Alagai are kind of like always seen as being sort of barbaric. They're like out in the Mm -hmm. woods doing stuff. But fighters, I think that fighters are not, fighters to me are not default non-flavored warrior. Fighters are about skill and technique. Yes. So the idea of like where did this fuzzy frozen mountain yeti Right, get um, like insane military training. Right, like real focused. Like you're waking up at six o'clock in the morning to joust mm-hmm. level. Like, how, where did this come yeah. from? Yeah, I mean, maybe he's a ward. Ooh, like maybe that there's like a he's a from a vassal st- mountain state, but mm-hmm. he's the the son of of the lord of that mountain state, and he was taken by the big fancy country next door to train to be a fighter in that place. So we're looking at like us like the the Alagai sort of groups, uh familial groups, clans, whatever in this right. mountain range are subservient to like a more technologically advanced civilization. Uh uh I'm going to roll on the race chart one more time to see what this neighboring nation is. Uh 38, what's 38 the neighboring nation? is human. Human, cool. Yeah. yeah. Solid. Yeah, so the Yetis were taken over by the humans. So I love the idea. And so this guy's, the way I see him is like a fighter with a lot of intelligence. Uh, uh, or maybe it, we'll, we can say this is a, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like, yeah, a very militaristic human nation. This Alagai warrior goes there, and they are almost like beast from the X-Men. Yeah, I mean, it, it also, like, I think that there's a way to do it where everybody in the human nation is like a dex-based fighter, and he's a strength-based fighter, and Fun. like it, it, there's always that, like, clash. Like, they're trying to make him a dex-based fighter, but he's like, no, I'm strong. I'm very I'm strong. just the strong one. I Let also, me be strong. I also love the idea, though, that there's that... 
he would get in a lot of beef with like because he if he's like first of all a big fuzzy guy who's like armored right. still and everyone's like he's gonna go into a rage and he's like preposterous why would how I how dare you how dare you <laughs> I would never uh, slap uh, and then has this huge like Zweihander great sword uh-huh. and everyone's like he's gonna go berserk and like. It, well, it's egg on your face that you think there are not very concrete fighting forms with a two-handed weapon. I just I happen to have a two-handed weapon because I'm I'm strong and big and and it, it fitted and and this was the one that was available at the yeah. time when I was training and I just got really good at it, it and my my knuckles go all the way to the ground and this makes incredible use of my advanced reach. So I, why would I not? Uh, and I love the idea too of everyone thinks he's going to be like on the hilt taking huge swings and mm-hmm. it's, he's got that like leather mid blade kind right. of grip that's on, so it's like all short little strikes that like pivot and he's like no this is very easy for parrying and <laughs> this is like a battle master yes, fighter Avast! Avast! Um, I need to make him play this character now. Yes, this <laughs> I, is very fun. Um, but I want to point out like how we're doing this which mm-hmm. is uh Taking some things as given, in this yes. case, information given to us by a random mm-hmm. table, and then just asking ourselves, what makes this make sense? Yes, yeah, you're, um, it, it's, any writing prompt is useful because it gives you limitations. And that's all this is, it's a writing prompt. Like, you, 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 uh, you have to create a character that these two things are true. Mm-hmm. And then the way that you justify it is, if these two things are true, what else is true? Right, and I think that there's something too, which is we're doing this randomly to show you guys mm-hmm. how you can take truly anything and make a fun story out of yes. it. But even if you pick these, I think the same process still applies. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, if you go like, yeah, I'm going to- because elves are wizards, so I'm going to be an elf wizard, so because elves are wizards. And I think like- but like, why? Why? And also, what is it, I think asking the question, what does it mean mm-hmm. to be an elven wizard? Right. What does it mean to be someone who has truly not strayed yeah. from- the path. I am, I'm following. My dad did this, and his dad did this, and and we're just gonna. I'm. I am a very uh, lowercase C conservative person. I'm just. This is this is how you live your life, and I'm doing it. I always wanted. I, there's another character I wanted to play that I've been battering around in my head mm-hmm. for a while, which would be an Azamar divine soul sorcerer uh-huh. with like a max charisma, and just play like the hyper bubble person. Because so, I think so many heroes do have a tragic backstory. Yes, playing someone who is like yeah, I'm, I'm from just a, like really hot and like really rich and had a really good life. Yeah, like I'm from a line of angel sorcerers. We live in a tower. We go out and uh, fight evil because we are uniquely gifted to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, My parents are super good. They're both alive. They told me that I should grow up and be a hero. That sounded chill to me. They love me very much. They love each other very much. Not in a weird kinky way. Just like really like open and kind. They made me very aware that because of all of this privilege, I was probably going to be a douchebag if I wasn't careful so I try to be very humble but I also am here to help let me know yeah, it's if the I can... Antony from Queer Eye of <laughs> characters it's like I do have the blood of angels in my veins I am here to solve your problems and I'll make you some guacamole uh, I make a dope guacamole yeah <laughs> um, uh, beautiful I love that let's see if we have time for one or two yeah, uh, let's questions answer some cues um, hell yeah uh, that was so fun it's fun um, it's fun it's fun uh, this one, first of all, if you're watching this, you could have watched it two yeah, weeks earlier on here? Dropout. You gotta watch Delia. And, you, and if you want to submit questions, you can submit them on our Dropout Discord. Yeah. Uh, so do yeah. that. Uh, this one's from The Bard. Thank you, mm, The Bard. Wow. Um, 
My experience as a player has overwhelmingly been theater of the mind, but after watching D20, I was shocked by how incredibly engaging the use of miniatures can be. In getting back into DMing, I've been toying with the idea of using, well, toys for miniatures and set pieces. Is this something that can take away from the player's experience of the game or lessen the depth of my world building? Mechanically, my biggest issue that I keep running into is a set scale for everything. Thanks. Well, I think that using toys is fine, and if people have a problem with it, they're the asshole. Yes, I agree. Because uh, I think that the reason that you're using it is still theater of the mind. It's yeah. just a more concrete theater of the mind. Absolutely. Um, the only thing with scale is, the only thing that I feel like that's important with scale really is the grid. Yeah. If you're going to do a minis-based thing, it, it, you don't have to worry too much about because it, it's just a this is a suggestion of this character I think you need a grid I think you need, or if you don't have a grid you mm -hmm. need like a measured length of yarn something yes. something to like give you distance look I, I I've talked about this before but I think there's a funny thing where some people are like are like oh like um we just want to be chill. We want to be laid back. We're not going to do minis and a whole a whole battle grid because we want to be relaxed. Let me let me break it down for you. Nothing is less relaxing than six players looking at you going, "Wait, how far away is I'm this 60 guy? Sixty feet away. Because the spell is sixty feet. The spell is sixty feet. So can I hit them? Can I not hit them? Because right. they hit them with their bow and they're on the platform. But how how t tall is the platform? And that's especially true. I feel like if you have a battle with a lot of enemies like if you just have one guy that you're fighting i think theater of the mind is great but if you have a hundred where are these guys and i just for story flavor i love huge battles we mm -hmm. played a battle yesterday in my home game yes uh where you guys fought like 20 super gnolls yeah. all at the same time and we were on like bridges and there was water and you were in like a roman sewer beneath right. a sort of venetian palazzo fighting these uh armored knoll enforcers and the uh, and listen, Rick Perry does not come build no. the sets for my home game. Selfish of him not to do that, but Rick, he doesn't. Why don't you come build the sets for my home game, together, dude? Really. Um, but uh, I think the issue there is um, uh, we look for, like, so it's just dry erase marker on a battle grid yeah. with tokens. I use little Othello pieces so I can write how much damage they've taken yeah. on them. Um, and uh, it's very fun. And really, it's not about, I think, listen, Dimension 20 has a has a Rick Perry and his team are magicians. It's insane what they do. And it transports insane. you in this beautiful way. But even if you can't have that level of production, it is just a helpful tool for dealing with stress yes. to have toys and markers on a board so you right. know where and shit is. Especially if you're a magic user because it's already very stressful being a magic user. Very stressful. Who cares? We're playing a game. But it's like more <laughs> it's work. Uh, yeah. and so many of the spells are distance-based. That like it just like it ma it makes it a lot easier. The bard use toys. Your players will not mind. We all wish that Rick yeah. Perry would come. I wish Rick Perry spent every day with me because he's a wonderful man. He's great. Uh, we like all wish it. that we had that production level in all of our games. I only have it at the games I play at work. I don't have it in my home games that I run with my friends. Uh, so uh, uh, I think it's critical to remember that like you shouldn't hold yourself to that standard. But it is so much less of a headache when those questions are easily answerable because you placed minis. Mm -hmm. uh, I think use toys. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, use counters, use whatever, use beans. Yeah, use it's Rage all, Kitchen. It's all help. It's all just to streamline your experience. Yes. Um, this one's from Indigo Stitch. Thanks, Indigo Thank Stitch. Thank you. 
Is it risky to let a new player play one of the classes that aren't in the player's handbook? Your your artificers, your very, yeah. Uh, I have a player whose background best fits one of the unearthed arcana classes, but I'm worried that a direct reference document like a book, they'll get confused. Is there anything a DM can do to make sure that when a new player brings in homebrew, that they understand how it fits into the regular game? I mean, I don't see a problem with it. You can just print out the unearthed arcana stuff that's yeah. the printout is the same as a book. I would say I would say go to a if you don't have a printer, go to a library, or if you have a friend that works at an office, get them to print it out at yeah. their office. If that's or just have it on your phone. I mean, yeah. if, if you're okay with that as a DM, uh, yeah. If they're if they're able to access the material, I actually like running a lot of stuff off my computer because yeah. Command Find is really helpful. Oh my god, it's so useful for spell casters as well. Just yeah, to like, huge. oh, what is this? What does this spell do again? Oh, I got it. I've been using D and D Beyond. D and D Beyond is awesome, uh, extremely helpful. Um, uh, but I would say too that um, you can be extra forgiving when someone has homebrew stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll, this is true because look, l- listen, DMs are gonna make up their own magical items, they're gonna mm-hmm. make up their own feats. Home- you do? <laughs> I'm kidding. Homebrew stuff makes its way into your game. And I think that what you wanna do is find a way to be very forgiving with that because the amount of play testing and balance that has to happen for like the fighter class when mm-hmm. it goes out in the player's handbook is enormous. That has yes. to be play tested because it's going to be played in thousands upon hundreds of thousands of games all over the world, right? right. Um, with content that's only ever going to appear in your campaign because you mm-hmm. made it up, you can be forgiving. You can you can let something work in a battle and then all kind of agree like, hey, that was really Ooh, fucking powerful. Yeah. Maybe we nerf that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and if someone goes like, but th- that'll strain the credibility. Why did it work so well that first time and not the second time? And you go like, well. Yeah, sometimes you're good at things. I, there are so many things that, oh, the first time I did this, I did it great and then the next 20 times I did it, I did it really badly. <laughs> I bad yeah. it up. I don't understand it. It was a wild magic surge. The, the new ability came thundering through with an extra amount of magic, and yeah. then it simmered off, it tapered off a little mm-hmm. bit. As I just it, had a lot of adrenaline in that moment. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, so I think that you can be more forgiving, and you can slow down to match the pace of your new player who's playing with some jankier homebrew content, yeah. both to make sure that it's balanced, and also to make sure that they're having an easier time grasping it, especially if they're a new player. Um, uh, and you know, uh, if a mechanic seems to be troubling them over and over again, maybe introduce a simpler mechanic. Yeah, I mean, there's also ways of figuring that out. I know on Nadpod uh, with Deadeye, Murph was like, "This character is too powerful. You get a certain number of bullets." Yes, he gave me a certain number of bullets, and then also squashed my hand and eye at a certain point yes. in the fight. Um, so you know. Sometimes if you're too good at making characters, people gotta find a way wow. to uh, crimp your style. Wow. You know what I mean? Brennan loves winning D&D. He's the yeah. only person. I will say this. Uh, Siobhan is very right to point out that you can't win D&D. And when she says you can't win D&D, she means you can't win d <laughs> Absolute nightmare. Brennan is the enemy and uh, he's here to destroy us and, and we will do anything that we can to stop him. Uh, I'm of course lying. You can't win D&D. Um, uh, no, but I would say that this. I Even in making... I've made very powerful characters because yeah. I find th- I find the puzzle of how to do that yeah. I- engrossing. Um, but there is whether your character is overpowered or underpowered will never impact whether or not they are fun to play if they are not justified within yes. their world and yeah, archetypal. Just, uh, the uh, justifying the characters is the most important thing. 
I really believe more than any other thing in this world is just like believable, justifiable characters who know why they are there and what they are doing and for what reason. Beautiful. And that's the note we're going to end on. That's been this week's Adventuring Academy. Thanks so much for my guest, Javon Thompson. See you guys next time. This has been a Dropout Podcast. For video of today's show, plus more exclusive series, go to dropout.tv.